the underdog the podcast that follows the tales of compassion and bravery of animal rights activists all over the world my name is hannah grant and i'm the administrative assistant and social outreach director at the animal law firm i will be taking over as a guest host for our lead attorney and founder christina bergson in order to create more content for our lovely viewers as i interviewed these amazing people i was truly inspired by the common theme of hope that they give to underdogs everywhere They taught me that sometimes the greatest power an underdog possesses is never giving up hope. Hi, everybody. Thanks for joining us. Today, we have Kara Ochterberg, president and co-founder of Who Will Let the Dogs Out? Who Will Let the Dogs Out is a nonprofit organization that works to raise awareness and resources for shelter dogs and people who fight to save them. Thanks for being our guest today, Kara. Hey, thanks for having me, Hannah. Of course. Well, we can just dive right in then. Can you tell us a little bit about your organization and what you do there? So we are um, a national organization now. We have volunteers all over the country that are working with us, but it started out basically uh, my uh, friend, well, friend I met because she adopted a dog that I was fostering. Um, and she's a professional photographer. Her name is Nancy Slattery. And Nancy and I began traveling to the South to try to figure out where all the dogs were coming from and why, because I had fostered over a hundred and it didn't seem like it was ever going to end. And when we traveled there and saw what was happening, we were, we were shocked. And we realized that if we didn't know about the situation in so many shelters in our Southern States and the rural areas, especially that a lot of people don't really know what's happening down there. So we started going just to tell their stories. We were, you know, we, we don't have any great skills other than I can write and she can take pictures. So that's kind of how it started. And then it's grown since then. And We've now traveled to over 100 shelters and rescues in 12 states and have about 25 volunteers who help us keep track of those shelters and stay in touch with them and continue to support them through resources and grant ideas. And we even just launched our own small grant program. Wow, that's amazing. Congratulations. Thanks. How did you kind of get your nonprofit up and running? Well, we did it initially as... um, as just an initiative of the rescue that I was fostering with. Cause I, when I came back the very first time I went to a shelter, I was down there because I write books and um, I had written the book, another good dog, one family and 50 foster dogs, just a story of our family learning to foster dogs and our experiences, kind of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the hilarious sometimes. <laughs> and um, I was on a book tour. And so since I was going South, I was a great, perfect opportunity to, to go to the shelters that my dogs come from. And that was the very first time I went. And I have to be honest, I was, I was blown away. I actually had to like, excuse myself and go in the restroom so that I could cry. Cause I just, I couldn't believe that I didn't realize how hard it is, how many dogs are suffering, how many dogs are dying in our shelters. And, um, and so when I came back, I was, I was determined to do something about it. And that's when I enlisted Nancy. And because I know, I know sadly that people don't read much and pictures can be very powerful. So she and I started traveling. And so initially I went to the rescue that I was fostering for and said, Hey, how do we do this? How do we be a nonprofit? And they said, Hey, why why don't you just start under us to begin with? You know, you can use our nonprofit status. It was really generous of them. So um, the rescue is operation pause for homes and they're based in Alexandria, Virginia and um, but are in four different States. So for the first year, year and a half, I want to say, we operated as an initiative of Operation Pause for Homes. But then we just began to grow and grow and grow. We needed to do it on our own. So we, at that point, um, 
started out, you know, on our own so that we could raise more money so that we could do what we ultimately have done now is, which is to have a grant program of our own. And also we, we, during the pandemic, when we couldn't travel, we produced a film about rescue in Western Tennessee. And, and so we couldn't have done those things if we didn't have our own nonprofit status. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Would you mind uh, mentioning the name of the film and where people can find that? Sure. It's called um, Amber's Halfway Home. And um, it is, it, you can find it on our YouTube channel, basically. Usually that's where it is. I'm trying to think if it's up there. It may not be up right now, but you can definitely find it there. The other place you can find it is the film company that we partnered with. Um, also very, very dog oriented is Farno the Farnival. And the Farnival, I'm sure, has it on their YouTube station also. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So you kind of covered what like the main purpose of your organization is. Can you explain kind of the nitty gritty, the small actions that you do and the people you work with? Sure. So we're getting ready to leave for a shelter tour. And um, so Nancy and I travel and we usually it's a it's a blur. We spend a week to two weeks on the road. We travel to shelters all over the South. And when we go there, we basically want to we want to hear their story. We want to get their story firsthand. And, and you really can't get that as I learned. From, from just watching online and from what you hear, you actually need to go to these shelters to really, to meet the people and meet the dogs. So we go to the shelter. Um, I, we post a lot on social media and we do lives and we, we learn what, you know, what are they struggling with? What are the issues here? We always interview their longest stay dog. Um, and, and we offer, we always bring supplies. We ask ahead of time, what do you need? A lot of our supporters um, help buy purchase those items and so we we show up with a truckload or whatever we they're in need of and um, and then we learn their story and and then try to tell it as best we can I always try to tell people we don't go in there bashing we see some really hard hard stuff but we also know how hard the challenge is and if I go into a shelter and I slam them you know, and I'm only seeing one day, one day of what they, who they are. So it's not fair. If I go in there and I slam something that I don't agree with, um, I'm, I'm not helping the problem at all. Um, and I'm also not going to get invited into another shelter. So we work really hard to stress what they are doing right and what they really need. And oftentimes we're saying those things so that the locals right where they are can, can find out what's going on. Cause many people don't know what's happening in the shelter right there in their County or their city. They have no idea. And um, so sometimes that's, you know, that's a big piece of it. We do invite, we have a PR coordinator who does send out press release. And so oftentimes some local press will turn up and that's really helpful in getting the word out. So as much as we can, we are just trying to, to share this story and get it out there. And then after that following up, and this is where a lot of our volunteers come in is we, we continue to track them. We got, we follow what they're doing. Um, we offer support, we share their story at ongoing, and um, we have a grants coordinator who works with them to, to so that help them get grants because many of these places we travel to are small and they don't have the staff to apply for grants. And um, so Nicole works with them and tries to help them find grant programs that they can qualify for. She literally coaches, you know, and edits and handholds through the process to try to to help in any way they can. So we continue that relationship going on. And because we've been to over 100 shelters, we, we really depend on what, uh, our volunteers who are called shelter liaisons to track that shelter and pay attention to what they're doing. And the other thing that we're doing 
is we see so many really great ideas and solutions and clever ways of, you know, doing canine enrichment or working with fosters or engaging your community. And so we've been gathering all those things. And on our website, we have a resource guide and that's where we put everything as we learn about these ideas, we place them there so that people can, you know, if they need a fundraising idea, they need an idea to reward their volunteers or, you know, whatever the idea is. And obviously all the grant and resource programs we know, they're all listed in the resource guide. And we can, that's a goal of ours is to continue to expand that and eventually have it as a downloadable in a downloadable format. And we just, just recently onboarded a volunteer um, a week, two weeks ago, who's taken on that job. So I'm thrilled that we're, that, that little dream is also going to happen. Okay, great. How do people find your website and how do people become a volunteer and just how can the general public support you? So we, our website is who will let the dogs out.org. And don't forget that word will it's who will let the dogs out.org. If you leave the will out, you get a lot of great rapper videos. <laughs> um, so on the website there, there is a button to apply to, to help us. And that's kind of the, you know, if you have time, the shelter liaisons are all over the country and we have a coordinator who matches them up with usually two shelters, but they can take more if they want to take more. And it doesn't take a lot of time. We actually have a lot of college students and um, young adults who do this because they can do it from their computer. It only takes an hour or two, maybe at the most a week, because you're, you're basically stalking the shelter and looking for really good ideas, watching for um, problems or issues or, you know, things that, that we can help with opportunities for us to, to use our little grant program. Um, so they, they're just our eyes and ears on the ground because we can't keep track of them all at, you know, ourselves like we did in the very beginning. So that's one really great place to volunteer. We always have little projects. Like right now I would love to find um, an illustrator for a children's book because we have ideas for how to, we actually have a little book written actually on adopting a dog through a foster home because that's not something you see the shelter stuff, but a lot of um, rescues are foster based and um, so that we have a little script for that, but we also had a request from a shelter for a, a children's coloring book um, that that just educates on human humane care and um, how to safely interact with dogs. So that's another, you know, another need. So illustrator or I don't know, coloring book, I guess you still need an illustrator for somebody to create those things. So we have little projects like that, that come up fairly often that are kind of one-offs, you know, and obviously fundraising, there's always a need for people to help us with fundraising and PR. Oops, that's my foster dog. Um, so yeah, there's, we have, you know, if you got a, any, any hour to give, we can definitely put it to use. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. It sounds like you have something for everyone, which is always exciting. Mm-hmm. So do you have any advice for anyone kind of wanting to enter the field from what it, from what you've said, do you think it would be useful to have, for example, like a journalism background? Um, it depends. It, it depends. Yeah. Journalism is great. You know, if you're wanting to do what we do, which is to go into the shelters, which I would love for there to be more people um, actually going to the shelters and helping, you know, journalism is great, but you know, film, gosh, finding you know, filming things and creating more of that is, is going to be such, have such an impact. You know, we have all, every time we go into a place where we're like, oh, if we could just, if we could just put this on film, if people could just see this little shelter, like for instance, this little shelter in Kentucky that we went into whose budget is $2,000 a month. 
And that includes paying the three part-time employees who are all working for minimum wage. And that shelter had over a hundred animals and, and to their credit, you know, our saving all the animals uh, through help from rescue and, and el elsewhere, but it's a, it's a tough situation. And the, I mean, the, the place is, is old and cement, it's a cement building. And I, I don't know, I just was texting with them because we, we coordinated getting, um, an enrichment thing for their dogs. Cause their dogs, it's just a tough place to live and, but it's what they got and they're doing the best they can. And so, um, I just heard from them just, um, yesterday and just sending me some video. They put up these peanut butter lick boards, which was the thing that we organized for them. And, um, and they, I, I just said, you know, you're doing so much with so very little, but they're proving that it can be done. They're in a really poor, poor area of Kentucky in Floyd County, Kentucky, and they're a municipal shelter and they are saving every animal that ends up in their building. And I, I believe they're an open intake shelter um, on $2,000 a month. So it really comes down to wanting to do it. So yeah, any, uh, that's kind of a, like a long, long answer to say that any skill can be put to use in saving lives. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think that's a great point to bring up. It's just, it's just hard for people to imagine what it's like until they can actually see it. Yeah. Absolutely. So obviously you help a lot of people and a lot of animals, but what do you value most about your work? Um, you know, I, I meet the most amazing people. I just, I'm blown away by some of these individuals that we meet in these shelters who are giving so much, you know, they just giving so much to save these animals who, who don't belong to them, who aren't their animals, who are basically, you know, thrown away by the citizens of their county. And it just inspires me, you know, it inspires me and makes me want to be doing more and helping more. And, um, and then there's, you know, also the, the animals themselves, you know, we meet so many incredible dogs every time we go out on tour and uh, that they, they come home in my heart and I see them not just in the pictures that Nancy takes, but just the, like on replay in my mind, whenever I think about the, some of the shelters that we visited. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I can imagine that just the connections you make are hard to forget. Do you have anything you're currently working on that you're very excited about? Uh, well, the Instagram program, I'm really, really excited. We just gave our first one and this was a dream of mine because we go into these shelters and like I said, a lot of them are small. Some of them don't even have internet access and, um, and you know, like the, the animal control officer or the volunteer or whoever's running the place has to go home at night and work on their home computer to, you know, upload dogs to try to get them adopted or out to rescue. And, um, they don't have time to go through the, the very complicated, uh, process to apply for a big, uh, you know, grant from like Petco or Maddie's fund or whatever. They're, they're complicated and they're difficult. And the, the shelters that get those are usually shelters that have a big staff, might even have a grant writer on staff and, and not saying they don't deserve them because they do deserve it. A lot of those big shelters are helping a lot of animals, but the places that we see that need where money could make the biggest difference have the hardest time because the process is rigged against them. They just, they don't have you know, sometimes they don't even have their records. You know, they might be on a notebook on the desk. They're not online for sure. So they can't upload records. And if you can't upload records, you can't apply for most of the larger grants. So my dream was to, to have what I call instant grants, which means that we walk into a shelter, we see something we can help with and we just do it. So we needed money to do that. And we were really blessed to get a grant to regrant from the ASPCA. 
And that started us. And then we've gotten donations from people that have added to it. And so we were able to give our first uh, Instagram to Terrell County in North Carolina and our January tour, we went there and it's a shelter where the dogs live out side basically they have a roof and they're on cement but the sides of the building are it's just chain length and they had plastic wrapped around them but it was cold and when we walked through that building which was spotless because the aco does a great job cleaning the um, hound dogs especially were just shaking and it was maybe 40 degrees but it was windy and um they didn't have you know they were just on the cement they had a barrel like a um a plastic barrel that was put up on like a riser but a lot of these dogs are really big and that's not a real comfortable or warm space. And so um, we gave an Instagram and bought Corunda beds for every dog in the shelter. So for every one of their kennels, we bought Corunda beds, which are raised beds that are soft and comfy and that gets them off the cement. Um, and it's not a huge thing, but it'll make a big, big difference in the lives of those dogs that they aren't laying, you know, on cold, wet cement or in their own, you know, urine or feces. So, um, that's what an Instagram is. We don't just, you know, willy nilly handing out money. We want to be able to do something. For instance, another shelter we're working on another Instagram for, they don't have a, a animal scale, like a, a big, you know, for weighing the dogs. And if you can't weigh them, then you can't medicate them correctly. You can't market them to rescue. Well, um, you have to be able to get a weight, but a, but a good scale is like $400 and when you look at some of these smaller places like Floyd County, where it's $2,000 a month and some of the, a lot of the smaller shelters that don't even have a budget for food and depend on donors for that, a $400 scale is not, not within the realm of reality. So uh, we can buy that. We can do that. That's our Instagram. So they're not giant gifts, but they are um, items that we can purchase that where we can make a difference. Um, spay and neuter is another one where we can, we can give the money to the veterinarian directly and then that you know loads up the account for the shelter and then the shelter can get the dog spayed and neutered so those are the kind of things we want to do with instagram and i'm really excited about it and the more money that we can gather into that program the more instagrams we can give out um, and there's just things that are going to make a difference and help that shelter save more lives and and hopefully eventually enable them to apply for the grants in the bigger you know the bigger scheme of things and get actual funding which is what most of them need Absolutely. That's amazing. I I mean, just those, those small things, they, they don't seem, they can seem small, but it frees up so much time for the staff to do other things. And mm -hmm. so I think that's what the real difference is. It's really cool. Yeah. So how can people find and support your organization? What is the best way for them to support you? Well, the best way to support us is to share us because as I keep saying, we just need a bigger microphone. I, again and again, I say this problem does not exist because people don't care. Clearly this country loves dogs. We love dogs. What 70 million households adopted dogs during the pandemic is crazy. We love dogs. Nobody wants the situation to be what it is in the South. And so I really feel that if people knew what was going on and how they could help, they would do something. The problem is not that people don't don't care, but that they don't know. And so we need help getting the word out. We need a bigger microphone. So sharing our story, sharing, you know, what we're doing, sharing our organization, getting more people to follow us on Facebook and TikTok and Instagram and all the places where we're sharing the stories of these shelters. That's the best way for someone to help us. Of course, we, we love donations and that we take too, because that helps us with like the Instagram. It also helps us be able to travel more. It will hopefully eventually help us make another, do another documentary. 
Um, so there, there's lots that we are hoping to do. So um, the easiest way to do any of those things is to go to the website and you can find links there to all of our social media and follow us there. We also have YouTube. Oops, my dog is jumping around. We also have a YouTube channel where we're doing a lot of stuff and, um, and the donate button, it's of course there. Okay, perfect. Thank you for that. Well, why don't we go ahead and take a little break here and we will come back and talk some more. Hi, everybody. We're back with Kara Ochterberg, president and co-founder of Who Will Let the Dogs Out. And we're going to keep on talking about her experience working there. So one thing that I want to know is what has been the most rewarding part of your work with your organization so far? Well, we had a really big win this year. Um, as you know, as you said, our purpose is raising awareness um, and resources. And early on in this journey, we visited a shelter in Franklin County, Tennessee, and um, it was at that time the worst shelter I had visited just in terms of the conditions for the dogs, the um, possibility of, you know, for the dogs. The day we arrived, we met with the animal control officer, one of the three animal control officers that was there. She was the one animal control officer very engaged in trying to save these dogs. Um, it, um, Franklin's an open intake shelter. And for people who don't know what that means, that just means that they have to take every dog brought in by a citizen, a resident of the county who doesn't want it, or an animal control officer who finds it or stray or, you know, a good Samaritan. They have to take every dog no matter what. Um, many shelters these days have gone to managed intake or limited intake, but um, a true county shelter is, should, I think, be open intake um, to a certain extent. But anyway, they're an open intake shelter, so... They have no choice but to take all the animals that they get. And um, they used, at this time, they used uh, inmates to do the cleaning. And so because of that, they couldn't really have a volunteer program. They couldn't allow, you know, people just to come to help at the shelter. Um, and the the conditions were really tough. There was no heating or, well, there was some heating inside, I guess, but um, no heating and the dogs that were kenneled outside and no air conditioning either place. The kennels were very small. The dogs were basically, you know, laying in their own mess and um, didn't get out for play groups. It was just a really bleak place to live if you were a dog. And the day we arrived, I, we were told that they had just euthanized 12 dogs the day before and, and. I want to say it was like 30 or 40 cats, some huge number of cats. And we, so we were kind of like, Oh, and it was a hard one. It was a really hard one. And, um, and writing about it was tricky because like I said earlier, I, I, I try to be stay positive every time I write about them and, and talk about the things. And, and the one thing I could talk about at that shelter was this one animal control officer, Heather, who was working so hard you know, on her own time with her own camera, taking pictures and going home at night and loading those pictures up and, and networking the dogs to rescues just to try to save as many lives as she could. And so she was kind of the bright spot in that situation. So I wrote a piece and I basically called out that county because it was not, it, it was not as poor as so many of the counties we went through. In fact, it was, had kind of like a cute little suburban feel to it. And so I basically said, Franklin County, do you know what is going on in your shelter? Is this what you really want? Because it's their tax dollars paying for it. It always comes down to that. Like people can, you know, say, oh, our shelter is horrible. Well, if it's horrible, it's on you if you live there because your tax dollars are paying for it. So anyway, I wrote this piece. We moved on, did other things, tried to do what we could to help Heather. I thought that was kind of the end of it. Um, when I had gotten home, from that tour, I had contacted a local shelter. They, there was another shelter there that was 
um, a nonprofit shelter that was limited intake. And I contacted the woman who ran that and um, asked her, you know, do you pull from the shelter? Or are you helping the public shelter? And she said, you know, we're, we have so many of our own, we help when we can. And again, I thought that's, that's the end of that. Nothing's going to change. So we went on to do all our other, um, just, you know, wherever else we were going for probably about a year, year and a half. It was longer than that. And then this past summer, I got a message from the woman who runs that shelter, the nonprofit shelter. And she said one of her, uh, somebody who had volunteered with them found out, he read my article about Franklin County and he wanted to know what they could do. And, you know, and, and she said, well, the County has to be involved. She kind of coached him a little bit, but or he or she, I don't even know whether it's he or she, um, whoever this person, amazing person was, went to the county and made this offer with the help of the people from Animal Harbor, the nonprofit, that that they would donate $500,000, a half a million dollars, if the county would match it to build a new shelter for Franklin County. And long story short, the, the county agreed. We went through the whole wow. process of it with the budget committee. So Franklin County is getting a million dollar shelter because we visited there and wrote that article and and planted that seed. And so that's our biggest win. And that's what we hope happens when we go places that people, like I say, they do care. They just don't know. And so by telling the stories and sharing it, then now they know, now they can do something about it. And so we hope that that happens over and over again. So Franklin's our, our biggest win. And, and we've had other stories like that, but when stuff like that happens, it, gosh, it makes it all it makes it all, you know, all the crappy hotels and all the awful food and all the miles driving and and all the times where you write something and put it up there and you get like three reactions, or, you know, one comment mm -hmm. um, and you wonder, is this doing anything? Stuff like that just makes you keep going. Absolutely. That's incredible. Congratulations, first of all. Thanks. Um, so obviously you've been to so many shelters. What are some of the greatest challenges, most common challenges you've faced in these shelters? For us, for me, it's always just to tell the story well. I, I want to honestly share the situation and I want to say, you know, I want to be respectful. I want to remember that this is just one day. I'm only there one day. I, I haven't seen it, you know, on another day. It's just the one day that we're there is the day we see it. Um, so I, I want to, that's always for me to tell the story well and to inspire people to want to help and to want to, to want to make a difference. And, um, that's the hardest thing for me. The other thing that's really hard is just seeing the situation as it is. It's just, there's so, it's so fixable and, but yet it's not being fixed. And so for me going into a shelter and, and knowing that these dogs don't have to die, but having to walk out of that shelter without any of those dogs, it's, it's hard. It's really hard. I mean, very, in the beginning, it was, it was, Heart, you know, almost impossible for me. And Nancy, who is the photographer I travel with, is is really good at helping me um, remember that. You know, like w all we can do is tell this story. If we stay here and we like dig in and pull all these dogs and do, you know, then we can't help anybody else. And so our our job is to go through and to to share the story and inspire other people to to come in and then fix the problem. And like I said, it's very fixable. I know it can be done. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm glad that you kind of have that support as well from another person because it is so hard to to see those conditions and and be able to move on. So I kind of wanted to ask this question because I feel like I always get such interesting answers. But one what is one common misunderstanding about the your organization or the industry you work in in general? Um, 
Well, for us, a lot of people think we're a rescue. We get a lot of people saying, hey, do you have a, you know, a golden retriever puppy or whatever? <laughs> um, <laughs> we're not a rescue and we don't actually handle the dogs, although we meet thousands and thousands of them. But um, so some people misunderstand that. And then I think in general, in the, in the shelters, uh, there's a lot of people in this country think two things. They think either they think it's it's fixed, you know, because there was a time when it was much, much worse. And we have come a long way. But we're not we're not done yet. You know, there's a Japanese proverb that says when you are 90 percent there, 95 percent there, you're only halfway done. And that's true because this last bit we have probably progressed and gotten, you know, it's gotten better in all the shelters in a huge, huge way. And we are killing far fewer dogs. Yet this last fix, these little tiny shelters that nobody knows about that are down these gravel roads and don't have Internet and you know, have a three-day kill plan. Like that's really, really, those are the ones that are going to be the hardest to fix. And we have, and we can fix them. It, it is, is absolutely fixable. So, that, so um, that's one misunderstanding. And then the other big misunderstanding that I think all the time is people don't think they can get a quality dog from a shelter and, oh my gosh, or a purebred dog from a shelter. And especially right now, our shelters all over this country are in crisis because the numbers are worse than they've ever been as long as I've been involved. And every shelter we walk into, we see purebreds. Gosh, this last shelter we saw tour, we saw a lot of Huskies, a lot of German Shepherds. We saw doodles. I mean, we saw so many purebred dogs that, um, you know, it was just astounding to me that nobody, you know, like people that people don't realize that they can get a beautiful dog in a shelter. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a, a good match for everyone. You just have to be willing to to go and look. So obviously on this note of kind of misconceptions, misunderstandings, I'm sure you've learned a lot in your time working in the field. So what is one of the most important lessons your organization has taught you? I've learned so much. I've learned so much from this, um, that everybody can make a difference. Everybody anywhere. There's, there's these two women that um, started a rescue in Florida and they're such an inspiration to me because I know them because they read one of my books and reached out to me and then they helped on the book launch for my second book and, and they, they together decided they wanted to save dogs and they are in Florida and they rescue dogs, mostly in South Texas, which is probably the hardest place to rescue dogs in this country along the border down there um, in the Rio Grande Valley. And they they use their phones, they work their contacts, they raise the money and they have built a network so they can, they can, they have people in South Texas who will pull dogs out of the shelters right before, you know, they're going to be euthanized and, and they raise the money to then have those dogs vetted and boarded and transported. And then they find a rescue in like usually the Northeast to take those dogs and they coordinate that whole thing. And they do this all from their cell phones and their laptops because they wanted to make a difference. They wanted to help save lives. So they're not housing dogs or fostering or transporting, or they're not doing any of that. They're just working their phones and their laptops and raising money and we're and building a network and saving dogs. And it's just amazing to me. So I just think anybody and that, you know, we've met so many people along the way in this journey that are using what they got to, to save lives. And if everybody did just a little bit, if everybody did, you know, you don't have to maybe go to the extent that Liz and Michelle go to, but, um, everybody can do something. This is, this is a fixable problem. It's, it's not complicated. Everyone acts like it is. It's really not that hard. If everybody 
wanted, who, who wants to help did something, did one thing to help, we could make such a difference. We could definitely finish this job that was started probably, I don't know, 30 years ago with the no kill movement. And, and now we're, we're close, but we're not there. Absolutely. Yeah. That's incredible. I, the work that people do is just so amazing in the small ways they find to help, I think is so cool. So on that note, um, kind of a cheesy question, but I always love to hear the answers that I get. What is your best tip for making the world a better place? Uh, do something, <laughs> do something, say something. I mean, every, every day you have an opportunity every single day to make the world better or not make the world better. I mean, every single day you can choose to, you know, to, to be kind, to have patience, to help somebody, to have a better attitude. Like every day we have that choice. We don't have to, you know, we're not helpless in any way, shape or form, no matter who we are or what we are, how much money we have or don't have, we can, we can all do something. Absolutely. I think that's great advice. Well, kind of wrapping up a bit, what are some of the biggest things you're looking forward to in your career? Um, I am looking forward to the day when we can close down who will let the dogs out, like <laughs> when there will be no need for us. And I say that all the time to my board, to our volunteers, to everybody, like that's the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is to work ourselves out of this business, like that we will no longer be needed. And mm -hmm. that, you know, to me, my hope is in 10 years at, at the most, I really think it's fixable and we just have to keep working and spreading the message and getting a bigger and bigger microphone and getting the word out because Franklin County shows you it can be done. It's in, I have seen it happen in other places too. There's a shelter in West Virginia that's phenomenal and um, saving lives and in, in a place that is, you know, one of the poorest places in the country, it can be done, it can be fixed. And so I'm looking forward to the day when I don't have to get in a car and drive <laughs> 10 hours or 12 hours or whatever and spent two weeks on the road in really crappy hotels eating Panera um, for <laughs> two weeks. You know, I'm really hoping that the day is going to come when I won't have to do that. So that's what I'm mostly looking forward to. Absolutely. Yes. I'm sure that a lot of people agree with you. Most animal welfare workers, we, we want to not have a job. It's so true. Well, I'm trying to think, is there anything you'd like our audience to know that I haven't thought to ask you? Um, well, if you want to learn a little bit more about the situation, I, I did write a book. It's called 100 Dogs and Counting, One Woman, 10,000 Miles and a Journey into the Heart of Shelters and Rescues. And it's, it's about the beginning of this organization. It's about a really challenging foster dog who kind of pushed me to my wits end to say, I don't want to do this forever. Why will this faucet of dogs never turn off? And that's when I started traveling South and that's when all of this started. And so that book kind of chronicles what I learned, what I discovered, and some of the things that I think are solutions um, in that book. And the other thing that I would love to stress is that right now there's this crisis in our country and it's it's because of the pandemic. It's also because of the housing crisis. It's also because of the economy, the uneasiness of that, um, the uncertainty for a lot of people, I guess, in the economy. Um, but for a million reasons, we are, shelters are inundated right now. All those people who adopted puppies during the pandemic and it helped get them through, and that was wonderful. Many of them didn't do that, uh, kind of did that on a spur of the moment or because of the situation. And they didn't think through what 
what was going to come. And the shelters in general normally have, have the average age of the dog in a shelter is like one to two. And the reason is because, and this is no pandemic or pandemic, it's because people get puppies and they're adorable and they're really cute. And when they get to be teenagers, they become work and they become hard and they have challenges and they're suddenly, you know, not what people bargained for. And so that's why that age dog is what ends up getting in the shelter, getting the shelter, whether it got dumped or whether it got turned in either way, it ends up in the shelter. And so all of those things have kind of come together to create this perfect storm and all of our shelters are inundated. I have a Google search where I put on every day of um, animal shelter over capacity just to see where the problem, and it used to be, I did this long before the pandemic and I would see where the little problems were. Well, now I, when I put that on there, oh my gosh, I, there'll be 20 hits, maybe more. Yesterday it was all Alaska. And I was like, whoa, I had no idea this problem goes all the way to Alaska. Everybody, it's just a, you know, it's a moment in time right now where all the shelters and rescues are struggling, overwhelmed. And there's no instant solution because the the solutions are going to take some time. And so that that means in the meanwhile, you know, there's all these dogs whose lives are hanging the balance, but you can't create more adopters and we can't seem to slow down the flow. The one thing that can make a difference is fostering. If people, more people would foster dogs, they could give the system the breathing room it needs to save lives. So mm -hmm. that was the, that's the other thing I would totally stress. And I just started a little YouTube show called Foster Tales on our YouTube channel. We only have one episode up, but we recorded another one this morning and I'm interviewing people who are fostering to talk about what it's like and how you do it. And, um, to try to encourage more people to consider fostering for a shelter or a rescue, because right now that's the only solution I can honestly say will help at this moment in time. Definitely. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, especially so many shelters now are trying to make fostering so much more accessible, so much less of a commitment for people so that people can do it in their own time and so that it is so easy. Um, so yes, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that and I highly encourage everyone to, to foster if they can. Yeah, it's a lot, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun. I'm talking to you and I'm looking out the window at my three foster dogs at the moment <laughs> and they're having a blast, <laughs> but, um, yeah, cause I, it, it's, it's a, a rewarding, rewarding thing. And, um, and everybody and anybody can do it. It's, it's not as hard as, as you believe it's going to be. So try it. Would you mind also mentioning where people can find your book? Yeah, um, you can find uh, all my books anywhere. <laughs> Barnes and Noble usually has 100 Dogs and Counting and Another Good Dog, the a book I wrote about fostering. Um, they're usually there, but anywhere online, any online outlet, of course, Amazon and um, all those places, Barnes and Noble online, all of them, they you can find them there. Okay, perfect. Is there anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up? Well, I really appreciate this and I really appreciate what you guys do. And I was interesting learning about it. So um, I, I'm grateful for the opportunity to tell the story. We're just trying to find more opportunities. So if anybody out there listening has a, another idea of how we can share this story and get this message out, I am all ears. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It was so nice talking with you. Yes, thank you. I enjoyed it. such an inspiring interview. I learned so much and I hope you did too. If you were moved as much as I was and want to support this amazing organization, please visit our website at theanimallawfirm.com and check out our merch page as all profits from merchandise go towards supporting the guests on the show. Or follow the links to donate to this organization directly. 
If you want to support the podcast, please share us on social media and give us a five-star review. Anything helps. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, fellow underdogs.